good to be in the house of the Lord, and it's thank God for heaters as well. Um, I'm just really enjoying the warmth. I can feel it. It's good. I was like, we've got, we've got to get more heaters. I think, can Chris, can we, can we invest in more heaters? That, that would be awesome as we come into the winter months. Well, today we, um, we're going to continue on with our Sermon on the Mount series. So for those um, maybe you haven't been um, over the last few weeks, but we've been doing a series in Matthew starting at the start of chapter 5 and continuing on in what we call Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So we've been looking at the Beatitudes, we've been looking at um, salt and light, we've been looking at... Um, other things too. But today we're going to be looking at fulfilling the law for us and in us from Matthew 5, chapter um, yeah, chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. So I'm going to be reading from that and then we're going to be pulling that apart. Um, we're going to have a couple of skits as well. So if you've got some acting ability, which is actually not much at all, um, I really just want to illustrate some points. You can be thinking about that too. So let's read from um, verse 17 in Matthew 5. I'll come this way so you can actually see the screen. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For, I, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven." Wow, that's a, um, that's a big passage and lots of things in it. But Jesus starts by um, sharing with the crowd, do not think that I've come to abolish the law, but rather I've actually come to fulfill them. And he goes on to say, I tell you the truth, unless heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will disappear until everything is accomplished. So what is he talking about? Well, first of all, the law, as we know, is the Torah. So they're the five books that, um, that was at the start that Moses wrote and the law in them. But the prophets was really referring to everything else that was in the Old Testament. So really what Jesus is saying that, do not think that I've come to do away with the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but rather I've come to fulfill them. And the smallest letter in the Hebrew... Um, not that it's any relevant, but just so it's information and interesting. It was called Yod. And what they were talking about with the least stroke of the pen and um, all of these things was with the Hebrew letters, often between some of them, there was not much that differentiated them. Sometimes it was just one little dot or sometimes it was just one little cross of a T. And what Jesus was saying was that you know, it's like a comma or apostrophe that every stroke or dot matters. Just because it's little doesn't mean that it's not insignificant or it doesn't matter anymore. And so Jesus is likely clearing up a confusion here. So he's come to share the coming of the kingdom. He's come to share with, with everyone, not just those that were following the law, but everyone, Jews and Gentile. He's come to say that you are blessed if you come to the kingdom. The kingdom has come 
And so what he's saying is, is he's clearing up the confusion that the law, um, that they were thinking that perhaps the law doesn't apply anymore. That perhaps the Lord's not relevant anymore. Perhaps Jesus is introducing a new law and so we can finally do away with all the laws and all the rules and all the regulations. But Jesus is using two expressions here with the letters and the, um, and the least of the commands to say that no part of the Old Testament, no matter how small, is being abolished. Rather, I have come to fulfill every part of it. And so he hasn't come to abolish or oppose what God has said, um, but he's come to fulfill every part. So in, but what he's also doing is he's freeing people from the way the Pharisees had wrongly interpreted the law. So they had added to the law, they had um, misinterpreted the law, they had put all their own laws down, and they often accused him of not obeying the law. But he wasn't not obeying the law. He was not obeying their law and the way that they interpret it. So he often is very strong against the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And we'll get into that more soon. But he wasn't saying that the law doesn't matter now. You know, sometimes we might think, well, we might think the same. Well, the big things matter. Obviously, do not kill, do not steal, do not... um, I don't know what are some of the other big ones. But surely... Now that I'm under grace and now that I'm in Jesus, didn't Paul say that I'm not under the law anymore? So surely that doesn't mean that I don't have to worry about tithing anymore or sexual purity anymore or um, adultery or honouring my parents. Surely I'm free now. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, I haven't come to abolish, I've come to fulfill. So I want to unpack that. What does that mean? What does it mean to say that Jesus has to has um, come to fulfill the law and what is our response now how are we to live now that we are in Christ so we're going to kind of look at it in two parts but first of all let's look at how did Jesus come to fulfill it for us and then we're going to look at how did he fulfill it in us so the word for fulfilled is play play arrow Um, that's in the Greek and the definition of that is to cause God's will So God's will was made known in the law. That was God's heart. That was his will. Um, So it was to cause God's will to be obeyed as it should be. And God's promises, which were given through the prophets, to receive fulfillment. So in other words, God's heart through the law was completely obeyed. That's what he always wanted, but it was never possible. But Jesus came and did that. And God's promises that he promised are now fulfilled in Christ. So the Old Testament always points to Jesus. And so when we read the Old Testament, we always need to read it through the the lens of Jesus because it's all pointing towards Jesus. So specifically, how did Jesus fulfill the law? The first way was that he fulfilled the precepts of of Scripture. Precepts meaning, you know, laws or or things that he had to do. So he perfectly obeyed all that was required in the law. 1 Peter 2.22 says that he was without sin. And in the law it said, you know, you can be so good at 
obeying all the law. But even if you disobey one little thing, you're guilty of obeying the whole law. Disobeying the whole law. You're guilty of disobeying the whole law. And so it was impossible to obey. They had like 2,000 things or there were so many things. It was impossible to obey all of that. Yet Jesus obeyed all of it and he was without sin. And as I said before, the Pharisees accused him of not obeying but he was obeying the law of Moses. He wasn't obeying all their rules and regulations that they had made up um, and called the oral law. So there was many gaps in the law. So they filled, it, they filled all these gaps in with their own laws to make sense. But they used to believe that the oral law, the things that they made up, was equally um, divine as the written law. And all of that had to be obeyed. So Jesus, as I said, was freeing people from having to come under um, man's law rather than God's law. Jesus also fulfilled um, the predicted prophecies um, and the promises that the Old Testament spoke of. Do you know he fulfilled more than 300 prophecies that the Old Testament spoke of about the Messiah, where he would be born, how he would die? All these things. And he reinterpreted what the prophets had been writing about in their proper way. I know we've spoken about that before and we're doing Alpha at the moment at the school that I work at. And we've got about 15 people, um, give or take, coming to do it. Um, and they talk about this very fact. Like it's, it's easy. I was talking to my neighbour actually the other day about Jesus and he said... You know, I, I believe in Jesus and I believe in God, but I just don't quite believe I, that he actually died on a cross. I think that's just, you know, made up. And I said, yeah, but all the prophecies in the Old Testament, they point. And he said, yeah, but you can, you can kind of make that up. You can fulfill that. Like you just work out what was said about you and you just go about and, and do that. It's quite easy to kind of make up prophecies. And I was like, well... To some degree, maybe, but how can you make up where you're going to be born? Like, you're just born. It's not, my children didn't have a say over where they were going to be born. Um, how can you make up where you were going to die or how you are going to die? Or maybe, maybe you could, but you couldn't make up where you are going to be born. And so, we actually have to realise that Jesus fulfilled a lot of what was said in the, um, in the Old Testament the third thing is Jesus fulfilled the penalty of the law. See, the penalty for breaking the law was death. It was eternal separation from God. And I, as I said before, if you break one part of the law, you break the entire law. And so Jesus died taking the penalty, as we know, that we deserved. His death on the cross redeemed us from the curse and he imputed his righteousness to us. So it relieves us now of having to try and earn righteousness, which is what the Pharisees were doing. They were trying to earn it by their obedience to the law. But it was impossible. Instead, we receive righteousness now by faith which is a gift of God. 
So does that mean, this is the big question, does that mean our obedience is unnecessary now? The Romans asked this in Romans, like, now that we're in Christ, does that mean that we have a license to now do whatever we want? Yes, we're free. And Paul said a big fat no, no, that's not what it means. Our obedience is necessary as a response to righteousness we have received rather than a requirement to receive it. I'll expand on that. So under the law, worship was a requirement. And there was all these rules of how they were to worship and what worship looked like. But under grace, it's now a response. Under law, tithing was a requirement. And you had to give 10% and you had to do this and the first fruits of your crop and all these things. But under grace, it's now a response. So under law, the Sabbath was a requirement. But now... Under grace, it's a gift. And so, the, and there's certain things in the law that no longer apply to us now because Jesus has come and fulfilled that. So we don't sacrifice, thank goodness, lambs in atonement for our sins because Jesus is the lamb that took away the sins of the world. And so there's certain things that we don't do because Jesus has come already to fulfill it. John Wesley says that the law has now become a promise. See, in the Old Testament, the command was, you shall love the Lord your God. It was a command. But now under grace, it is, you shall love the Lord your God. It's a response. You can't help but not love the Lord your God because of what the Holy Spirit has done in you and through you. I remember on Alpha, um, the course, hearing this wonderful story about this man, um, he was sharing the gospel with someone in his living room. There was a whole bunch of people that were, I think, at an alpha meeting, at some kind of meeting, were sharing the gospel. And the man said, look, the thing that I just, I believe in Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. But I know the Bible says that then you need to witness and you need to tell people about Jesus. And I just, I just can't do that. So I just can't become a Christian. And the man sharing said, you know what? I'm going to let you off the hook. I'm going to let you become a Christian without having to tell anyone. Like you, I'm going to remove that from you. You don't have to do that anymore. You're free. You, you can just be private with it. And he said, great. So he went up, up to the stairs into a room, shut the door, and he knelt down before the Lord, and he gave his heart to the Lord. And as he did, the joy of the Lord and the um, Holy Spirit just filled him with such um, amazement of what had happened that he ran down the stairs and he flung the door open and he yelled out, I've just given my heart to the Lord and it's amazing. And everyone knew that he'd given his heart to the Lord. And so it wasn't a requirement, it was a response of what God had done. And that's what grace does. The law requires us, but grace enables us. And grace empowers us now to obey in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we are free to now obey. Um, it's another way of looking at it. Jesus, number four, he also fulfilled the pattern of Scripture. 
And we saw this in the Sermon of the, of the Mount when Jesus came up the hill, that Jesus is now the new Moses, which is why they were thinking, Jesus is giving us another law. We don't have to obey the law of Moses anymore. But actually, Jesus is the new Moses. He, he is the fulfillment of that. Um, we know that Jesus is the temple now. They met in these temples and they were like, they had the curtain and they had the, um, the holy of holies. And, and now Jesus is all of that for us. Jesus, as I said before, is the lamb that Abraham used as a sacrifice instead of Isaac. And he is the new obedient Adam, the spiritual Adam. Scott McKnight, a commentator, um, who wrote a commentary, a theologian, he made this comparison that the Old Testament was like a typewriter and Jesus is like a computer. Now, it's not a perfect illustration, but I think it paints a good picture. So who remembers the typewriter? So I remember my parents' typewriter. I used to type up um, different messages um, that I wanted to give and, and assignments. And I remember like there was like a key that you press that whitened out things. And if you'd make a mistake, you'd have to go all the way back and press the white key. And it was time-consuming. Um, but it, it was good. It was good for a time. And he, he writes this. He says, The technology and the idea of a typewriter was eventually developed into a, a, an electronic, faster and far more complex computer. But when you type on a computer, you are really still using the old manual typewriter's technology. Obviously, the computer far transcends the typewriter. But everything that the typewriter wanted to be when it was a little boy is now found in the computer. This compares to the law. Everything the law wanted to be when it was young, as revealed to Moses, is now found in Christ and in the life of the Spirit. Thus, when a Christian lives in the Spirit and under Christ, that Christian is not living contrary to the law, but is living in fulfil fulfilment of the law. It is for this very reason that life primarily lived under law under the law is wrong. But when the computer um, age arrives, we put away our manual typewriters. Well, we might now have it on display, but because they belong to a former era. But in putting them away, we do not destroy them. We fulfill them by typing on the computers. Every maneuver on a computer is the final hope of the manual typewriter. Now that faith, and, faith or Christ has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law, but not because the law is contrary to the promises. Rather, it is because the law is fulfilled in Christ and in the Spirit in a manner similar to the way a typewriter is fulfilled in the technology of a computer. And he goes on to say, and I am profoundly thankful for both. So not perfect, but we can kind of get the picture. So Jesus then goes on to say in verse 20 of Matthew 5, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this would have been a what moment for them. Like what are you talking about? The Pharisees were known for upholding the law. They were known for their obedience. In fact, they studied the law 12 hours a day. 
And as I said, along with the Torah, the written law, they had all these oral laws that they upheld the same level and the same authority as the written. And so they but believed that both needed to obey and they placed it on people like a heavy burden, Matthew says. And so people would have been thinking, how on earth do we live like this? Like they are like this. Um, and the Pharisees believed that too. They believed they were so above everyone else. The word Pharisees actually means separated ones. And they believed that for one to become righteous before God, they had to have a total obedience to the law and a total separation from the world. Um, so that the defilement of the Greek and the Roman influences wouldn't infiltrate them. And so the word righteousness in the Greek is dikasune, and the concept of righteousness really in the Old Testament was a forensic idea. And so it wasn't necessarily a moral quality as, as such as a legal, um, a legal status. And so the word righteous really meant simply in the right, that was your legal standing, and wickedness meant in the wrong. And so to have a righteousness greater than the Pharisees was to be completely right, but even Jesus called them dirty teacups. They looked clean on the outside, but inside they were filthy. And he called them whitewashed tombs. They looked all pretty on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. And so what was Jesus saying? And so the book of Romans, if we look at the book of Romans, which Paul wrote, it gives us a great picture of righteousness and how we are in Christ to live in relation to the law. Romans 3.20 to 22 says, No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And so it's impossible to receive righteousness by following the law. We now receive righteousness by faith in Christ and we receive Christ's righteousness. So what was the purpose of the law then? See, the law was never given to make one righteous. That was not its intent. Nor was it given to forgive one of its sins. External righteousness, the Pharisees kind of got, they, they got that. But they were unable to have an inward righteousness. And in fact, the law seems to entice, the Bible says, our sinful desires. So you make a law, like I remember when I was 18 months old, my parents said to me, Kyla, do not go in the bathroom. We've just mopped the floor. Do not go in. Now for an 18-month-old, and probably for an 18-year-old, that's an invitation. Ooh, I'm not allowed to do this. 
oh, and there's something in me that's enticed my sinful nature to want to do what I'm not allowed to do. But I know that if I do it, I'm going to be in trouble. So I tested the boundaries. So I looked at my, I don't remember any of this. This is according to them. I looked at my mum and dad and I got my toe and I pointed it over the line and I touched the floor. And I thought, what are you going to do about that? (laughs) Anyway, what they did do about that is I got a big whack and I was in very big trouble. One little part of the law, I broke the whole law, the whole rule. But that's what the law does. Suddenly we, we find out we're not allowed to do this. And all of a sudden, there's something in us that wants to do it. So what was the purpose of the law? Well, number one, it's to reveal our sin and our inability to obey. Romans 7 verse 7 says that. Um, With my messages, you really need to take notes because I have so much in there. So so even if you're not, maybe go back and listen to it because there is a lot today. The next part was to, it was to lead us to Christ. Galatians 2 verse 24 says that the law was just a tutor or just a guardian until Christ came. It was never intended to lead us to righteousness. It was to lead us to Christ and Christ led us to righteousness. So it reveals our sin and our helplessness, really. And in doing so, it leads us to Christ. We can't do this by ourselves. We need someone to help us. And number three, it shows us what God's will is and his way. So it reveals God's heart. The law is actually, this is what God's heart is for us. Um, It isn't to be a burden placed upon this. This is... His heart, what he wants for his people. So in light of all this, going back to the original question, how do we live with a greater righteousness than that of the Pharisees? The law couldn't save them. The law couldn't help them. So how do we live that? And to help explain that, this is where the actors come into play. We're going to act out Romans 6 and Romans 7. So I need three volunteers um, and it's really not complicated. I'm going to do all the talking and you're just going to do what I tell you to do. So do we have anyone that can come and help me? <laughs> Steve, yes, yes, you down there and Tim. Thank you. All right. All right. I should have warned you that you, there is marriage in this act. <laughs> so... All right, so this is skip one. This is deliverance from sin. So I need someone to be the master sin, who's also Satan. So someone's going to be the master. (laughs) All right, Steve, you're you're in black. That works well. Okay, so you're the master. I need need a slave, which represents us. Who's going to be the slave? (laughs) All right, and then I need Jesus. Okay. (laughs) All right, all right. So, so I need a name. Can I have a name? Can you have any name? You can have your name, Tom, or you can have any name. Roger. All right, so Roger. All right, so Roger is legally a slave to sin and Satan. So you're now, so he's your possession. 
because of Adam and Eve, you now have legal rights over him. And so you are a brutal master. You are evil. You try and control him. But you pretend that life... But you also pretend that life is really good with you, but you're actually really evil. And, and your intent is to kill, steal and destroy him. That's your intent. But you don't tell him that. That's just your intent. And Roger decides he just can't live under this master anymore. It's just so heavy and it's just not what he intended for his life. But because he's legally owned by sin and Satan, he can't be free unless one dies. Now, sin will never die. Satan will not die at the moment and he's an eternal being. And so what happens is Roger has to die in order to be free. <laughs> so... Roger, as we learn in Romans 6, is he dies with Christ. So I've been, so he dies with Christ. But he's now Christ comes and he resurrects him. So this is a picture of baptism. Resurrects him. And now he becomes a slave to Christ and a slave to righteousness. <laughs> and Jesus... <laughs> Jesus, the master, is so kind and loving. <laughs> but what sin does is he's, he's not happy about this. So he tries to call Roger to come back to him and to come and, and be his friend again. But Roger, under grace, Romans says, has a choice. He can either come back and be a friend of sin or he can continue to walk with Christ. And so he chooses to walk with Christ and in the power of the Spirit. Amen. That's a picture of what, what's happened to us. All right, boys, 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 you were so good. I've got one more skip for you. Unless, Okay, so this is Romans 7. We're doing a lot of Bible study today. Romans 7. Okay, we're married to the law. This is about married to the law. And our freedom from the law. So we need law being the perfect husband. Who's going to be the perfect husband? All right. <laughs> I'm not sure if Beck agrees with this, but anyway. All right. And us, who's us? We need um, we're the, per the imperfect wife now. <laughs> who's going to be the imperfect wife? <laughs> All right. And now we need Jesus, also the perfect husband. All right, so Jesus, you can come over here. All right, so now, so perfect law, so husband law is perfect and he demands perfection from his wife. But no matter how hard she tries, she's just never good enough and can never do it well enough. And so she fails time and time again and she feels frustrated and angry, and she feels like she's in bondage. <laughs> the law only tells her what is right, but offers no help to her. Then along comes a new man, 
who's just as perfect as her husband, and he demands the same righteousness, but he is patient and provides the means for her. You're not allowed to join yet. No, 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 you can't join yet. You're just, you're just here. <laughs> you're doing really well. They have not had any warning about this. Who demands the same righteousness, but he's patient and provides the means for her to do what is expected of her. The problem is she wants to be married to this man, but she's legally married to this man. And under the law, she cannot leave because she will commit adultery. So what has to happen? Someone has to die. Now, she can't kill her husband because that's murder. And the law... It says never dies, never passes. So what's the answer? She has to die. And now she is free from her husband and she can join her new husband, Christ. <laughs> We're a bit behind. It's a bit, bit delayed. <laughs> Her, de her death releases her from the marriage and then her new husband, ra Christ, raises her up and she's married to him. And then we get... <laughs> Can anyone sing? You've raised me up. <laughs> so now Romans 8 is that we now serve the law of Christ, which is love, as we live under the power of the Holy Spirit and we keep in step with the Spirit. So where the law required, grace now enables me to walk according to the Spirit and we now have the righteous requirements fulfilled in us as we follow Jesus and we walk with him. The end. Why don't you give them a round of applause? There you go. You've seen Romans in a new way. And you read Romans now, you're always going to have them in your... In your <laughs> well done. But this is so exciting. That's a picture of what Christ has done. That's a picture of baptism. That's a picture of what life in the Spirit is now like. And Romans 8 verses 1 to 4 says, Because of all that, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the law and sin and Satan is still, they're trying to lump it all on you and bring you under condemnation, but there is now no condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And so Jesus fulfilled the law not only for us but he also fulfilled the law in us. And so having a righteousness far above the Pharisees is having Jesus come and completely clean us from the inside out, transforming us, imputing his righteousness in us. And so we're free now from the condemnation of the law and from the power of sin as our master 
so that we can walk now in step with the Spirit, producing fruits of righteousness. Isn't that good news? And so the question should never be, what can I get away with now? It's how can I love you, Lord? So Jesus summarised the, the Lord, didn't he? In love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others as you love yourself. We now live according to the law of love. So Jesus didn't abolish it. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled it through fulfilling the precepts of the law, fulfilling the prophecies, paying the penalty and fulfilling the patterns of the Old Testament. It all points to Christ. He freed us from the condemnation of the law that we live under. It's never enough. But we're not free to do whatever we want. Our obedience, however, is now a willing response to the righteousness that we've received rather than a requirement for getting righteousness. So when I was praying about today, just felt like there were certain groups of people that the Holy Spirit wanted to minister to. So you might be sitting there this morning and you may have never given your life to Christ. You may be still living for yourself. And, and as you saw with that skit, you're living under law. But Jesus has paid, has fulfilled the law. He's paid the penalty. And he wants you to come to him now and walk with him. And, we, and we, the Bible says that we die to ourselves in Christ and we're raised up in him as a new creation. The second group of people, I feel like your heart so is wanting to please the law, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. So wanting to please the Lord. And you wanted to do things, but I just feel like there's been like this feeling that I'm never doing enough. And you're, you're living under condemnation. But Jesus says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I believe wholeheartedly that the, that the Holy Spirit wants to come and bring freedom today. That He wants to take off that heavy burden from your backs where obedience is not out of fear that I might get sw disobedience, get swiped or, you know, or hit over the back. But I'm actually now free to obey. I'm free to live how He wants me to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's another group of people and hear the heart of the Father, but you've, it's almost like you've been living with two masters. And you've got your foot in both camps. And you're using grace as a license to do whatever you want. And I believe that the challenge from the Lord today comes from Joshua 24, verse 15. It says, You must decide this day whom you will serve. 
as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so there is no sitting on the fence Christians. There's no lukewarm Christians. You're either in or you're out. And it doesn't mean we're perfect. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking about a heart that allows the Holy Spirit to transform and work His righteousness in and through us. And we need His help. We do muck up, but we have an advocate that when we do, He's faithful to forgive. And so hear my heart in that. But I believe that the Lord is saying, hey, I want to bring a holiness that we're not just living as if we're part of the world. We're actually separate, but we don't do it in our own strength. We do it by the Spirit. So let me pray for you. And you know in your heart, if you need to respond today, this is between you and the Lord. I'm going to always, I always open up for prayer if anyone needs it. Um, But this is between you and the Lord. If there's things that you just need to lay aside or down, then you do that today. If you want to give your heart and your life afresh to the Lord today, then you do that. So let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you are our husband who is so gracious and so wants to help us. And Father, I pray for those today that maybe don't know you or haven't been walking with you anymore. Father, we just, we ask that you would come, Lord Jesus, and forgive us of doing life by ourselves. And today we make a decision to give our lives to you afresh. Would you come and forgive us all of living by ourselves and for ourselves? Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh? That we choose to live to you, for you today. Father, for those that have such a heart to please you, but just constantly feel the weight of condemnation and feel like they're never good enough, would you remove that condemnation and the lies in Jesus' name? Would they understand today that you've paid it all? There's nothing more for them to do but to receive what you've already done on the cross. And for those that perhaps call themselves a Christian, but really only on a Sunday do they live it. And they're almost like choosing two masters. Father, would you forgive us? And today we make a fresh commitment to choose you. Would you help us to walk in the Spirit? Would you help us to walk in love?